0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon on the book of Revelation. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to ask you for a favor. I know that many of you listen to our sermons on some type of podcast player, like Apple or Spotify. If that is you, it would be great if you'd take a minute to leave us a rating or review. I know that it might seem like a small or inconsequential thing, but it really can make a big difference. Why? Because every time you leave a rating or review, it helps our sermons be heard by more people. People who have the potential to be impacted by Jesus through the preaching of our church. This actually happens. I can think of people right now that have helped, who've had an eating disorder, struggles with their in-laws, and sadness from a miscarriage. These are real people that have reached out because they've heard one of our sermons online. So while leaving a rating or review might seem like no big deal to you, it can be a big deal to those that helps hear our sermons. So, again. If you're listening to this via a podcast player, please take a minute to leave us a rating or review. Thanks for listening to this sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Do you ever feel like our leaders in our nation and around the world are leading us astray in some ways? I sure do. And I think this goes across all kinds of lines and I think that it, you know, sadly in some ways starts in churches that we have far too many Church leaders that are leading their people astray by teaching uh, as the Bible says things that tickle people's ears things that <clears throat> excuse me that make people feel good but are not instructive for their souls and I think uh, maybe it starts there because because as, as the teaching in the church you know uh, weakens then then what happens is that flows into culture and, uh, and and then we see you know other places where this is true too. I think our political leaders uh, can can really lead us astray. They can uh, push us in the wrong direction. They are, uh, by God, they have a God-given responsibility, the government, to to kind of curb evil and uh, help people, you know, live for God. That's their job. And, and yet, it seems like they can lead us in all kinds of different directions that are against that. Sometimes in their political decisions, right? But sometimes just in their their example for us and how they uh, live their own lives. And then, you know, we see that all kind of come through the media in some ways. And I think all of us feel like the media is leading us astray. Uh, We just you know, may differ on what channel is the problem, but uh, but we all feel like the media is is not telling us the truth and uh, and and really dictating in some ways, especially I think for young people, not only what they think and uh, and you know how they uh, process news, but but also really in which the ways in which they live their lives. social media being you know a big force behind that, uh, and so it seems like th- these these things you know political, religious, and then the media, which won't connect us specifically to the passage, but I thought it was worth noting, uh, they they pull us in a different, they lead us in a different direction. But then not only that, but it's like a magnet. They They pull us, they pull society in the wrong direction with them. And man, our passage today is so instructive for for how to avoid falling into the trap of specifically allowing for our political and religious leaders to, to guide us in the wrong direction. Now this is one of those passages, I'll tell you what, where if you've been around for me working my way through the book of Revelation, <clears throat> excuse me again, uh, then then you'll know this has been a, a big topic for us that, that we are trying to see the book of Revelation as a book of impact and not just interest. And this, in, in Roman, uh, Romans, Revelation chapter 13, it's one of those chapters where, where people are just interested. I mean, that is as far as mainly I've ever gotten in my life before studying for this sermon. It's really interesting to talk about what these things are and, and what they mean for our futures and all of that, but never to stop and say, wow, how, how might I be impacted through this chapter of scripture that was given to me by God given to us by God for the purpose of living differently in many ways. And so uh, today we're going to talk about just a little about some of those interesting things and maybe you'll be mad, maybe you'll go wow, I was interested in that. I have more questions, but but we really I think need to see the impact that this passage can have on our lives because what it does is it shows us that for Christians, there's three key characteristics, three words, three key characteristics that will help us not be led astray by bad political or religious leaders that may come and influence us if we don't have these three characteristics and so here's how revelation 13 starts the dragon stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast coming out of the sea it had 10 horns and 7 heads and 10 crowns on its horns and on each head it had a blasphemous name now uh, I hope that you know because I hope you watched our online Christmas sermon who the dragon is the dragon is Satan The dragon, Satan. And here there's a connection between the dragon, or Satan, and the beast. In fact, verse 2 tells us that the dragon gave the beast its power. And further on, in the next verse, it tells us that people worshipped the dragon, Satan, because of the beast. So there's this deep connection between the beast and, and Satan, the dragon. Now the question, the, the most interesting part of this, the thing that we're going to be most interested in is who is the beast? Who is this beast? And so I'm going to do what I've done a lot, but I'm going to do it in a briefer way here. I'm gonna tell you kind of the four big viewpoints on the book of Revelation and how they see, what they see, who they see this beast to be. Preterists who see the book of Revelation is primarily about first century events they think that it's the Roman Empire or more specifically Nero as representing or instructive of kind of the Roman Empire as a whole. Historicists who see the book of Revelation as a timeline through Christian history, they think it's pagan Rome. Futurists see it as a charismatic leader who has all the tra- traits of the beast in Daniel 7. They would also call this person the Antichrist if you've ever heard that before. And if you know the beast at all in the book of Revelation, this is what you know about the beast. This is the viewpoint that you've heard before and people will identify and they'll make guesses. Like we talked about this in my very first sermon. None of you will remember it as I started through the book of Revelation. We talked about how people will point to different things in this book and start to make connections and say, like, well, I think Trump is the beast, or I think Biden's the beast, or I think, you know, another world leader is the beast, or I think Elon Musk is the beast. You remember, I looked that up, and, it, and sure enough, there are people who think Elon Musk is the beast, and and so this is the view you kind of know. Idealists who see this book as a book not about any time period, but strictly about teaching us theology and life lessons, how we should live as Christians. They see it as only instructive and they just throw out all that interest stuff. They see it as the incarnation of any kind of political power that is evil in the world that opposes God. And so they would look at governments and say, look at that government. They would look back to Nazi Germany and say, this is instructive of, you know, that's a picture of what this is about. Any kind of world system or world leader that stands in opposition to God that is doing the work of Satan. Now, here's one of the problems with not spending too much time on the interest stuff is that basically everything that we read around this idea of the beast in Revelation chapter 13, is, is going to be tainted. It's going to be understood through the lens of what you think the beast is. And so frankly, I'm going to tell you first that I believe the first century readers would have absolutely understood this to have been a reference to Nero. And I think it's important when we understand scripture to think about what, this is what good hermeneutics or the study of the Bible is, to think about what the first century readers would have understood when they thought about this passage. And I think they would have thought about Nero. Get that out there and then say, from here on, I wanna just say that I think what we need to do, if the first century readers understood it that way, well, we need to say, well, what's the application for us? I mean, uh, obviously, we don't live under the reign of Nero, and I think that the idealists that I've already mentioned are helpful here, and that we need to say, okay, this is what you do. Anytime you study any part of Scripture, what does the first century audience see? And then what does that look like in my life today? How do I figure out what it meant to them, and then how do I apply it to my life? And, and so with that in mind, they start as Nero, but what does that, what does that do for us? Well, we begin to see just right there at the beginning, uh, this word blasphemous, I think it's very important, and this implies the worst kind of slander, perhaps slander against God, and I would say it's an extension of that against God's people, and so here's a world leader, whether it's Nero in the past or, you know, this antichrist in the future or something in between, but the the idea that they're living under or that we are living under or that we might live under in the future is all the same. There is a leader or there will be leaders that work on behalf of Satan and their job is to slander God. Their job is to tear at God, to make God look bad, to work against the things of God, to hurt God's people, to blasphemy to make God's people look bad and to, to discredit God's people and to make religion, Christianity look stupid, like that's a stupid person's religion. Now look, you can pick who you think it is, I don't care, or if it's somebody or not somebody or it's, you know, whatever. But can you not see, just when I say that to you, that right from the front, we live in a culture today with this type of leadership. I mean, it is around us, right? Like I mentioned media earlier because I think that's important, but even our politicians and, and frankly, some of, we'll, we'll talk more about the religious side later, but, but even sometimes religious leaders, but mainly the media and politicians, don't they, don't they just seem to daily try to make our religion, Christianity, belief in Jesus as the savior of the world look dumb? I mean it's anti science and this is what they say of us, anti science and it's it's bigotry and um, you know, we're not kind to people and, 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 and we're stupid people and, and it's like almost like I can't believe those people from the fifties, you know, they're still following that Jesus guy. not isn't, isn't this the messaging that you that you sense and you feel and look, I've said this and I'm gonna say it again. I don't feel like I'm persecuted in America there are moments where I'm like, yeah, it seems like they're coming at me. I have people post like all Christians are stupid. Like I see those types of things and I think, wow, we're friends. I didn't know you thought I was stupid, you know? But so some of that, but I don't feel, I'm not saying like, you know, I'm suffering like people in Iraq for their faith, right? But can't you feel that the overarching kind of leadership of our country is blaspheming against God. It's making Christianity and the people who subscribe to it seem stupid. It slanders us. If you can't, well, I can. And that's why I think this passage is so important for us today at least for me because listen to this, the next two verses. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had been given had given authority to the beast and they also worshiped the beast and asked who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The people worship Satan through the beast. Satan gives power to the beast and then the people worship Satan because of the leadership of the beast. Now, almost everybody agrees. This is, this is like, you know, across the board, all different kinds of, you know, understanding to the book of Revelation. Everybody agrees that this is, this is a political Leader, That's, you know, a leader or representative of political leadership. And so here's what we see, that Satan can influence governments and political powers in order to promote his own worship and to pull people away from the true God. That's what this is saying to us. And there is an incredible warning for us here, right? Because if we are just looking and embracing the political understanding and leadership of our culture or any culture in history, frankly, then we run the risk of being moved away from worship of God and towards worship of Satan. By the way, I don't think that this probably looks like people falling down and bowing before Satan and singing Satan songs. I think it's a lot more subtle than that. History tells me, just experience tells me that Satan doesn't often work in such overt ways. It is often covert satan is working in subtle ways to get people to worship himself rather than god did satan walk up to eve in the garden and say bow down on your face and worship me at the very first sin did he say that no he didn't say that he said god doesn't want you to be to know like him he doesn't want you to have the same knowledge of him so just eat this That's pretty subtle, right? Just a little bit blasphemous, just a little bit of slandering God in there, but it's not like, hey, snake here, bow before me because that doesn't work as well. That's my guess. I don't know why Satan works the way he does, but it doesn't work as well. Who wants to fall on their face before a dragon or a snake? But we will subtly give over our worship to him if we follow political leaders and don't have the characteristics that we'll see in this book. Now, There's a pause here because it says all the people are going to worship, all the people are worshiping him. But then verse 8 says all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. And then there's this dash, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So here in this apocalyptic book, it's saying in a probably exaggerated way, everybody is being drawn to this person. Everybody, the whole world is being drawn to this beast, who's leading them to worship the dragon. But oh, dash, dash! Everybody, but the ones whose names have been lit, written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now we don't talk about this this Lamb's Book of Life as much as we did in um, late '80s, early '90s Christianity. I mean, this was like how we described. Christianity, like being a Christian, in some way it was like, hey, my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life, and it's interesting to me. This is just a, an aside. Uh, it's interesting how, as as uh, I you know live my life and um, am you know actively a part of the Christian world, how the way we describe our relationship to God and the way He saved us just kind of changes through the years. You know, talk about the Lamb's Book of Life, we don't say that anymore. Talk about being born again, we don't seem to say that as much anymore. And I don't know if this is good or bad. It's just a thought that it seems like the way we talk about salvation changes and lamb's book of life was was one of the ways that i remember to talk about it. and it is as a kid i think that they even said it when we went through who remembers this is going to make me a real you know church kid in a certain generation the wordless book raise your hand if you remember the wordless book it had the colors i loved the wordless book as a kid i still love the wordless book haven't seen it in a while it hung in my room in fact a little Felt version of it felt even another 80s uh, Christian some of you know uh, like so of course it was felt that's how we did church through felt when I was a kid and, and it hung there in my room and and I loved that thing and it took you through and then and then they would talk about you could get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life I think that's how they said it to me and I love the idea we don't talk about it but it's beautiful it seems to suggest this thing in heaven where every name of every person who has been saved by Jesus is recorded And these people will not worship the dragon because of the beast. I mean, why? He says it here? Because of the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. I tell this story every week because it's the story that, that is central to why we're here today. It's the story that brings us together into this family that we call church. It's the story that, that gets us out of bed in the mornings. It's hopefully the story in which we've founded our entire lives on, at least our born-again lives. It's the story that is central to all of Christianity, and that is the gospel. Each and every one of us were sinners. All of us have a tendency to... To worship the beast or the snake it's just the n- human nature because it's been passed down to us through generation after generation after generation we we all like sheep have gone astray we've each turned to our own ways and yet God looked down from heaven and you know what he did he came down in the person of Jesus Jesus lived sinlessly he never he never gave any worship to that stupid dragon and, and Jesus at the end of that perfect life he died for our sins he was slain he came back from the dead and, and and he offers us this he says look if you'll come to believe this and you'll give me your life you can be born again and your name can be in the lamb's book of life and I will give you a new life where you are forgiven and you were set free and you can look forward to a future eternity in heaven that's the gospel that's what we believe that's christianity And here it tells us, and I don't know how all this works, but this was planned or destined even before the creation of the world. It's not like God was like, "Uh uh-oh, Adam and Eve sinned and everybody else after, then what am I gonna do now? Like God knew how this would play out. He knew that you, your name would be in the Lamb's book of life. After this, there's this quotation from the book of Jeremiah. I'll say it again. The better you know the Old Testament, the easier it is to understand the book of Revelation. I encourage you last week to read the book of Ezekiel because it will help you understand or at least see where the book of Revelation is coming from. But we'll move past that. And then we're going to look at this, one of the two key verses. For us, not just letting this be a book of interest, but a book of impact. Revelation 13, 10. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Here's two of those characteristics. If you're not going to be led astray by the dragon through the beast, two key characteristics. We'll see a third one in a minute. Patient endurance and faithfulness. This is what we need. Because there are political leaders that will pull us away from God, that will slander God himself and as an extension God's people because this exists, because this is part of the human experience. It is important that we have patient endurance and faithfulness. I talked about patience a few weeks back and this is a slightly different word. It's a a word for patience that means a bearing up under. It's like to be able to hold the weight of something over the long period, a long period of time. It is also described this way, a person who is not swerved from their deliberate purpose and their loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Perseverance is another word for it. And and like I said, I talked about that a bit ago and the other word, a couple weeks ago, the other word, you could describe it this way, because of his love for his daughter, the father's... Patience allowed him to overlook yet another tirade of insults, born more from her alcoholic-induced psychosis than anything he'd ever done. By the way, if that seemed weirdly long, it's because I took these examples from somewhere else. But here's the way our our patience is in this passage. Okay, that's important to have that type of patience. Like I'm being patient with the person, right? But this is the type of patience that that is in our passage. Though he planted the seeds months earlier, having not seen any growth. The farmer's patience was evident to all and he eagerly woke up each morning knowing that this day would be different from the others. It's like you just keep going. You just keep trying. You just keep striving even when you can't see how it's all going to work out. By the way, it's connected to hope in the New Testament. The second patience, you can see that in the farmer illustration. It's really hard to bear up under something to keep going if you don't have hope that things are ultimately going to be better and in large part the book of revelation is given to us so that we will have hope so that we know that in the end it's all going to be great for those of us who patiently endure and who remain faithful 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and your goodness, knowledge, and to your knowledge, self-control, and to your self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. This is a section that I've heard kind of titled the divine nature, and so part of, part of remaining under the pressure of enduring, of persevering, and having patience is growing to be more like god we have to be moving forward in our relationship with god if we're not going to embrace the slander of the beast and worship satan now this other word faithfulness is uh is actually just the word faith uh, the niv says faithfulness but it's just the word faith and i talked about that a couple weeks ago but i have to repeat it it's a couple of ways that that faith needs to play out in our lives if we're not going to give into the slanderous ways of the beast or the people like him First, we have to place our faith in Jesus, right? Because what did it say? All will worship. All will just follow. They'll just follow the leaders of the world. That's what happens unless unless they come to faith in Jesus, unless they place their hope and belief in Jesus and the salvation that he offers and they live for him. Unless we do that, we're just going to follow culture. That's what happens. We're never going to be willing to swim against the tide. We're going to go with culture. We'll be led into Satan worship subtly if we don't have Faith. But the other part of this is is we have faith in, in the promises of God. We have faith, like I said, that it's all going to work out. Because in the hard days where people are being mean to us, and it seems like the whole world has gone astray, that they've left. All things, Christian morals and Christian beliefs, they left it all behind. On those days, unless we have faith, that says God is going to set things right, that he's going to bring me justice, that he's going to prove himself to be true, unless we have faith, it's gonna be really hard not to just a little bit. Bend your knee before Satan because you're following the beast. I mean, Hebrews 11.1, one, you may know this one. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I think that's so important. Now, there's this thing that's said here, and uh, I think we have to just pay attention to it. It says that he, he speaks the beast on behalf of Satan, that he speaks like Satan. I thought about this week, what does that mean? What does that mean? But we'll act, Oh, sorry, sorry, I skipped ahead here. I want to say something before we get to that. Um, what do we have faith in? That's, what, that's the thing I want to say first to you. What do we have faith in? And I wrote down a bunch of things that I think we have to have faith in. Obviously in the gospel that I've already said, but like this one, and this can be hard, that God is good. Sometimes we forget that. It's easy to like lose track of that, but God is good. We look at the bad things around us and sometimes we say, well, maybe he's not quite that good, but we have to have faith that God is good. We have to have faith that God is in control. We don't always know why he allows for certain things to happen, but we have to have faith that God is in control. That's a major theme in the book of Revelation. For those of us that are Christians, we have to remember that God, we have to have faith in the fact that God is with us. Jesus promises that he'll never leave or forsake us. God is with us. God loves you. When people begin to lose their faith in God's love for them, then it's really hard not to just want to please everybody else and do what everybody else is doing. God loves you. God is working all things for your good if you're his follower. God will provide for you God has designed and equipped you for something important and special. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. God gives us hope that goes beyond all of our circumstances. God will give you wisdom. God will bring justice, another big theme in the book of Revelation. God will save us. A day will come when there is no more sorrow or suffering or pain or death or mourning. It will come. We must have faith in God if we're going to worship him and him alone. So what's the point? If we know that Satan is, uses influential leaders to pull people away from God and to worship of himself, then we must grow in our patience and our faith or else we too will be led astray. The New Living Translation says this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Revelation 13, 11, then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb But it, this is the part I jumped to, but it spoke like a dragon. Who's the second beast? I'm gonna go ahead here. I'm gonna give you the four views in a second. But everybody agrees that it's a religious leader of some kind. That's just across the board. People just, it's a religious leader. Preterus is the cult of the emperor or a Judean civil leader, or a false prophet in Israel, but it's somebody who's leading people astray religiously. Historicist, papal Rome, or the popes in Rome from 500 to 1800 AD. Futurist, a religious leader that's an offshoot of the political antichrist in the end times. Idealist is just a symbol of false religious or false philosophy through the ages. But the big idea here no matter how we take it, we need to know what they sound like, and they sound like Satan. And so this is what I want to get back to. What does, how does Satan communicate? There's a bunch of things, as I kind of thought and looked this week, that I think are so important. The first is that Satan imitates good, or God. I mentioned that the snake didn't show up in the garden and just say, reject God, right? He says, hey. God just doesn't want you to be like him. It's kind of a nice offer, right? Be more like God. Something we want to do. I just said that, right? Be more like God. Here's how. Not the right way in Satan's case. And so often Satan will communicate in a way that sounds like God, which leads to the second way he communicates, and that is by twisting truth. I felt this in my own life when Satan's tempted me in the hardest ways. It's like I can feel him pointing to scriptures and saying that's kind of the same. You know, that's a little bit like that. I've harped on this a lot, but God just wants you to be happy. Kind of sounds like some of the passages in scripture I've read about blessedness and all those things. So I can do what I want, right? I can sin all I want because God just just wants me to be happy. I see in our world today there's a twisting of of the topic of love. Man, the idea that that we should love all people—you know where that comes from? That wasn't always a a thing in the world. That comes because Jesus came to Earth and demonstrated that, and his followers taught that to the world. In the world, in the Western world, as you know it, like we we say we should love all people. But what has that now been twisted into? That we should embrace all behaviors of every person, right? That's a twisting of a beautiful thing that Christianity gave to the world. Satan does miracles. These beasts seem to kind of have that power. Satan can make some supernatural things happen. I don't know what the limits are on all that, but but just because something is supernatural seeming doesn't mean we embrace it and go, oh yeah, that has to be right. He speaks through people. Peter is talking to Jesus. What does Jesus say to him? Is Peter like saying, You can't die? You can't die! He says, get behind me, Satan, right? Your best friend in the world, I'm not, you know, they're here, I'm not talking about you specifically, but like your best friend in the world might come up to you and say something. And just because they say something and you love them, it doesn't mean it's right and perhaps it's Satan fighting against you. And that is for sure true, pay attention, to some of the religious leaders in our country today. The most famous preachers in our country (laughs) Borderline on speaking falsities every single week. And so just because somebody is famous as a preacher, as a religious leader, it doesn't mean that Satan isn't using them to lie to you and to move you towards worship of Satan. Satan lies outright. He's the father of lies and he accuses Christians. And that's I've included because, I mean, i just see it i just see it even i was guilty for a while let me tell you this i was guilty in my early days of pastoring of um really being quick to point out the faults of christians and the church and christianity in general and i did this you know because outsiders see our faults pretty clearly right and they're calling them out i thought i'll call them out too then i read a book um And this book, uh, an apologetics book, the study of how to defend our faith. And in this apologetics book, he goes through the history of Christianity, talks about all of these incredible things that Christianity has done for the world and is doing for the world. One of them I've already mentioned, that the idea of loving all people, that we should value all people equally, that's an inherently Christian idea. Before Christianity, not a thing. Uh, Women, less important. People that weren't part of, you know, let's give you an example in Rome, right, when Jesus was born, people that weren't Roman, less important, didn't have equal value. Just this idea that all people equally should be loved, Christian idea, Christian idea, 100% a Christian idea. Obviously, there's been extensions of that, and it's been twisted, like I mentioned. This comes out of Christianity. And so this book points to that. It points to the idea that, that, think of the name of a hospital, probably has a Christian connection, right? I mean, like immediately, like when you think of hospitals, you think, why? Because Christians throughout the ages have said, Jesus was a healer. I want to heal people. We don't just want to let the hurting and broken and dying just go off and die. Think of the name of like nursing homes. I know, like think of how chaplains go into places where people are about to die and they minister just because those people still have value. All Christian things. And I reached a point where I thought, man, I don't want to be on the side of just pointing out all the faults of Christianity anymore because God changes lives through the gospel story that I've told you and that when he changes lives it changes the world for the better and Satan what he does in our culture today is he makes us feel and he makes us think sometimes like Christians that are running around doing a bunch of bad stuff do Christians do bad things? yes do the famous ones often get in trouble? yes I saw it pretty clearly this twisting or accusation of Christians during the pandemic where I kept seeing the same thing being said. It said, pastors just want to open their church's doors again because they want to get their money. Like, oh my goodness, we don't make very much money. I, I, I'm connected to about 200 pastors in a personal way. None of them are rich. Okay. I just want you to know that uh, none of them. And All of them are on a salary basis. It's not like they grab money out of the offering basket every week. And, by the way, money was great during COVID for churches. Like, fantastic. It's the best it's ever been nationwide, just better than ever before. But it's a twisting, right? Like, it's a twisting. Here's pastors who, by the way, every one of them, whether I agreed with their decisions on how open or closed they were, that's neither here nor there for this purpose. Every pastor that I knew personally wanted to open the doors, not to stick it to the government but because they knew that what they did mattered and they knew that it would have long-term ramifications for the souls of people if they didn't keep ministering. That was the reason. Whether they opened or not, that was the reason they wanted to be open. But there was a twisting there, right? That's how Satan works. So how do we recognize Satan's voice? It's gonna be the most Sunday school answer ever. You have to know the Bible. I mean... Somebody here in this congregation, when Satan was tempting me, the strongest, the worst that it's ever been, and it lasted a long, long time, and I was really questioning, like, is this God or Satan? Like, I was, uh, not, I was losing it. I was losing it. Somebody else in this congregation spent a night with me one night because I was losing it. And this person here, you know what they said to me? They said, does that sound like something God would say? The only way I can answer that question is because I know the Bible decently well, right? Like, No, it doesn't sound like something God would say to me, but most people in uh, American churches today, they have no idea what God sounds like. So when a religious leader who is not telling the truth, who's actually working on behalf of Satan, gets up and says something with a great sticky statement, everybody goes, wow, yeah, that's right. God does just want me to be happy, so let's have a clappy. You know, like, I mean, this, just because it sounds good doesn't mean it's right. We have to know what God sounds like. You might have lost the point in the stupid joke, (laughs) but you have to know what God sounds like. It's so key, and so you must be a person that reads the Bible, and then verses 16 and 17. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now marks in the book of Revelation are not usually literal. And I'll tell you my gut, that this, this is not literal. I'm going to say something. You've got to hear me right in this one. But I saw in the last few years how clearly this could be literal we had this thing called a vaccine that became very controversial and i'm not this is nothing about the politics this is an illustration okay but i saw how people could be forced to do something in order to continue to have the things they need in life and i used to think no way you know, growing up, told you about the scary movies I watched, right? And they're like, some guy's going to write 666 on my head. Like, I'm not going to let him do it. Like, that's easy. I'm, of course I'm not going to. I'm not a tattoo guy in general, you know? Like, I'm not, nobody's going to be tattooing 666 on my head. And then I saw what happened in the last few years. Don't care about where you politically stand on that. But I saw what it could look like by the way, I do not think that the mark of the beast is the COVID vaccine. Let me just be so clear. I had that conversation with somebody. I told somebody in the middle, hey, feel good about getting the vaccine. Go get the vaccine. Let me be like, that's, that's great. Go get the vaccine. If you want to get the vaccine, you're not going to hell because of it. You know, like, I, and so I had that, I just want you to know where I stand, but we've seen it now, right? What it could look like. It doesn't seem unrealistic to me anymore. And I wonder, like, will we be patient? If this is a future thing, and it is literal, will we be patient and faithful? And perhaps more scary is if it's not a literal thing. Because it's really easy if somebody's saying, I'm going to write a number on you to say, okay, this is it. But if it's subtle, and our political and religious leaders are slowly eroding at the fabric of our faith and our willingness to continue to serve Jesus when it's hard, it's subtle will we remain faithful and will we hold on to our patience and then he finishes with revelation 13 18 this first line i'm not going to talk about the interesting things i'm sorry you can ask me about it later but this is this first sentence this calls for it's the third characteristic this calls for wisdom let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man the number is six 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 and for the first readers of revelation here's this numerology john's like you'll figure out who this is i don't want to dive into that but they you know it's like here's the person but i think that the instructive thing for us is this call for wisdom how do we recognize satan's voice well the bible why because the bible gives us wisdom what is wisdom Wisdom isn't just intelligence, it's not the wise old owl, you know, saying all this stuff, it's not Mr. Miyagi, it's not Sensei Wu, you know, and Ninjago, this is not, like, this is not, this is not it, wisdom is, is having an understanding of what God would want from you, and we obtain that through the scriptures, and we obtain that by being with God in prayer, but I'm afraid that we just don't care anymore. Listen to Proverbs 3, 13-15. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Do you want money more or do you want knowing what God would have from you more? I think for most, the former is probably more true. I think of Solomon in this question, where God says, "What do you want?" says the son of King David. What do you want? And he's—I mean, good night. It's like genie, right? Like, I mean, what's my one wish? What's my one wish that I can have right now? He didn't say, "I want my kingdom to expand" or "I want more power, or more money." He said, "I want wisdom." And who in this room would be like that? Because if we're not going to worship Satan, then we need need wisdom. We don't need money. We need wisdom. James 1, 5 through 8 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, oh good. (laughs) He's going to tell us how to get it. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, when I read that as a younger person, before I had studied that passage, I thought that it meant I must have no doubt that God will give me the wisdom if I asked him. Like, I have to go, okay, I absolutely believe, 100% believe that God is going to give me the wisdom I'm asked for. How do I handle this situation, God? That's not what it means. The word believe there is actually like the word for faith. And really what James 1, 5 through 8, I think, says is if you ask for wisdom, but in your heart you're not sure if you're actually going to follow the wisdom, then God may not give it to you. The question is not whether you 100% believe that God is going to say yes. I'm reminded of the dad who says to Jesus, like, I believe, help my unbelief. We're all in that situation all the time. Every time we pray, right? I believe, but help my unbelief. It's not saying if you have 1% doubt in that brain of yours, then you're out. It's saying that when you ask God for wisdom, you better be ready to do what he's told you is the best thing to do. And if you are, then you'll get the wisdom that you want. And so how do you get wisdom? You open your Bible, you read it, you ask God, you say, God, give me wisdom, show me what you would want me to do. Because the reality is, right, we all know this, the Bible doesn't tell you how to respond to every single situation. I think there are principles for just about every single situation in scripture, but we rely on God's movement in our lives to give us the specifics for the generalities that the Bible gives to us. And so I hope and I pray that you will Ask God and you'll believe and you'll be ready to do whatever he wants you to do. And so I'll finish with this. Just consider what you hear on the news and online sermons and from our politicians and then ask yourself, am I blindly following Am I blind? I think that's a really important question. Am I blindly following? And I wouldn't say, am I just blindly following everybody? Because none of us are. Am I blindly following my side? You know, like the people that I like, am I blindly following them? And I'd say, make sure you don't, and instead have patience, faith, and wisdom. Let me pray that we will. Lord Jesus, um, you know, I'm not sure, God, about the beast and who he is or what he is, Lord. Um, I have my guesses. Uh, but Lord, we lose so much when we forget about the principles that you're teaching here. And the principle is that we need to have patience, faith, and wisdom if we are not going to worship Satan. And I hope for every person in this room that there's, you know, we're not Satan worshipers in the traditional sense, God, that we aren't you know, actively um, participating in satanic rituals if that's true of anybody break that chain God but I hope that that's not us but Lord I am afraid that people here people who will listen online that there are ways that we are allowing Satan to have strongholds within us even those of us that are Christians God we sometimes Through the leadership that exists in the political world and the religious sphere, even in Christian circles, we allow for ourselves to give in a little bit to, to the blasphemous ways of Satan and we give worship to the leader over and above our God. And I pray that in any part of our lives where that is true, that you right now would reveal that to us and you would change that in us, Lord. I pray for people who are here or who are watching online that have not given their lives to you, that have never come to faith. I pray that they would would see that your gospel is the way out, not just now, but for eternity. And they would choose, even if they've heard it a million times, God, they would choose now to commit themselves to you, Lord. I pray that we, God, would be a church, a a wise church, that we would be a church, God, that no matter what happens around us, we would be pointing people to you and who you are and how good you are. And God, we would do our best to follow wherever that wisdom takes us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.